0: So we don't even know what we're doing here, right, John? We're just going to try a video recording, two friends having a beer. Yeah, yeah, cheers. Cheers. Right, I guess, like,
1: I kind of, we need to show this thing off, right? Right. Like, I'm going to do, like, the hell here, yeah, lift it up. That's like, the
0: way to do it. Yeah, we are, don't want to pour these beers into the laptop, but we're at Beerberg Brewery on Fitzy Road in Austin, Texas. Yeah, and Fitzy Road is, like,
1: this fun spot in Austin. It's... It's like its own kind of space. There's all these breweries and restaurants along here. Yeah. And it's just outside of Austin. There's all this hill country out here. So I don't know. I think there's like three or four breweries alone on this road.
0: Oh, oh, I know. I know. There's at least seven. on Seven.
1: Fi- OK. Well, then there's there are more than I need to go to then.
0: That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, wooded country road. Um, often with my friends here, we've ridden uh, motorcycles or a bicycle along there. It's just mm-hmm. great. Um, uh, So John and I were friends going back at least a decade, maybe longer. Is it that long? Time goes faster as you get older. Yeah. I've met you here in Austin. Yeah. Somewhere around 2012 or 2013. I beat you to it. (laughs) And You know, um, I've been in the game industry for 29 years. John's been all over tech, but now he's like a high-end uh, real estate developer builder, right?
1: Yeah, so I went from the software world to the real estate world, but I kept the developer part, right? So mm-hmm. that was fun. So instead of building things digitally, I built things with like wood and concrete now, This is kind of, kind of weird. Yeah. I've gone low tech.
0: Yeah. Right. And then uh, John John and I, uh, we we get together not often enough, but when we do get together, we have these really intense, I think, creative conversations.
1: I think they are too. And the nice thing is we're kind of a little bit on opposite sides, not entirely. Mm. Maybe like I have a leaning proclivity one way and you have a leaning proclivity the other way, um, which I think is good because then instead of just group thinking, we kind of say like, oh, okay, well, let me think about that and what's right about that and what's wrong about that. So, you know, this is our inaugural um, podcast for lack of a better word. Maybe we'll we'll call it that later. That's right. If this thing goes anywhere. But um, why don't you talk about like what you wanted to get out of this? Because you had a really good way of, of putting it in terms of like applying your trade to policy.
0: Oh, there you go. There right. you go. All right. Nice one. So when I look at what's going on in public policy, mm-hmm. uh, like, of, it's like you just start
1: the this with that and you just kind of want to throw up a little bit. Right.
0: <laughs> you know, it's hard to think of public policy without feeling angstful. I don't care if you're a libertarian, if you're a, a fascist, a Republican, a Democrat. <laughs> Even the fascists are upset about right? policy. No one is okay. happy with public policy. No, no. The lefties aren't. The righties aren't. Yeah. And so, one of my observations is as a game designer, a lifelong game designer, but in particular, I'm a game designer of online virtual worlds. Mm-hmm. And with online virtual worlds, I have citizens in my virtual world. Mm-hmm. And I gotta keep them happy and productive. I gotta put them on new quests and new missions. I gotta release new content. Oh, full disclosure, John's also an investor in my company Million on Mars. Mm -hmm. So we were getting together and giving the latest update on everything going on. Sure, sure. And one of John's (laughs) gentle leading questions like, uh, do you release too much content too often? Or or how are you sure you're getting the full value at all? All that, Mm -hmm. and so he's probing with me. But we do that. We have to keep releasing new content. We gotta keep the engagement up. We gotta look at what they're doing. We also had an economic exploit right now. The rest of the team is inside in Beerberg working to go clean up an economic exploit right mm-hmm. now or clean up some misgiven hauling rovers and return back a mystery yeah, creative goodies. Duplicating high value items, right? Right. Yeah. So that's what you do when you design these online worlds. It is a world, and they have citizens. And the citizens are having a good time, but that good time is measured in, in some sort of currency. So as a game designer, I literally practice economic game design day in and day out. You're kind of like a mini government. We really are. Game designers are like governments in their own little worlds, right? That's right. 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 But it's much easier to change policy. Much easier to change (laughs) policy. Really much easier to change policy. But here's the other crazy observation I have. If I'm bad at my job Mm -hmm. of designing an online world, the players will leave my world, leave my game, and play another game. Right. There's the, the, what
1: do you call it, the activation energy for leaving is very low. Right. right? Where, like, it's hard to leave a country in many cases. Right. But, you know, which kind of makes game design a little bit different, like if the, if the players couldn't leave? <laughs> like, how, how would that change the way you do the economics of your game if they couldn't stop playing? Right,
0: right? and that's what we like, have. That
1: That's kind of an interesting insight. Like, oh look, I make the rules, uh, guess what? You can't stop
0: playing. Right, so we have 100 senators, mm-hmm. we've got 400-odd Congress guys, mm-hmm. and they are in charge of deciding how the $5 trillion of tax money we give them mm-hmm. gets distributed. Yeah. They decide. And if we don't like it, we can't leave the game. Nope. If we don't like it, we can't. Um... It's like the second law
1: of political thermodynamics. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, when we make. make... The,
1: the third one is you can't stop playing, right?
0: That's right. Right. OK. So to be, to make a modern online game now, you need to be free to play so people can come in and try it for free. Mm-hmm. You need to offer microtransactions or in-app purchases so that you can get some revenue or and or add on a, a play pass, a battle pass, and have a subscription revenue. But, mm-hmm. but you still welcome. Uh, additional revenue if they want to spend that, right? And then you got to you know manage people exiting and quitting. A lot of things you have to to manage. Now these senators and congressmen, they are going to get our tax dollars.
1: Yeah, there's really no way to avoid that. Yeah, I mean legally speaking,
0: there's no legal avoidance, of course. Minimizing your tax exposure is totally legal. Evasion is illegal. That's right. Your your financial expert can help you find that line and stay on the right side of that line. Yeah, I mean I'm, I'm going to like call on, like, a, some tax books that I've read. I think Tom
1: Wheelwright is the one that I'm going to claim here. And his assertion is that, like, hey, the, the tax code is just the government telling you what they want you to do, right? So right. if you have a centralized authority versus decentralized, I'd like to think that the United States is more decentralized than other countries are. But they're saying, like, look, we want housing and we want cheap energy, so I'm going to give you tax credits to build houses and, you know, pump oil. Right. Because we want that as a nation. Versus, hey, I'm the government, I'm going to go build government housing, and the government's going to go pump oil. That's right. Um, and so like it or not if you know the tax code and you know those rules like hey, you just those are the rules of the game That's right. right. literally like they're the instructions And if you know them will really well, then you can go follow them to your own economic benefit
0: The problem is that most people just don't read the rules. Most people don't read the rules. That's one huge observation mm-hmm. And I would say that the rules are obfuscated, right? That's where we get into notions about is there class and is there privilege in the united states is there an asymmetric access to some there is and i would say that access is through a professional accountant right right so if you can
1: afford a professional accountant then you can afford to know the rules right 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 so a lot of times they don't really apply until you own until you own things really this is equities you know to keep it simple just say like real estate and oil companies because those are where some of the biggest tax gains are although there's some really big tax incentives now for solar and renewables and things like that. So that's the government saying, hey, we want more clean energy, so we're gonna give all these tax credits. People get upset about like, oh, well, you know, electric cars are getting all these tax credits. It's unfair, blah, blah, blah. But it's just the government saying we want more clean energy. Right,
0: Right. so I don't know where this podcast is gonna go, but one place where we can (laughs) start. either One place where we can start, it would be (laughs) like, what if it's a game developer's land or a game developer's critique of this great big MMO that we're all playing? Okay, I like this. The game of the United States, like as a as a you know
1: a gamer, former gamer, less gamer now because I'm a dad, yeah. right? Who played probably more MMOs than I should care to admit. Um, it's funny to think like, what if the government was run by game designers?
0: Right, right. <laughs> right. And if you start thinking that way, and I know people are thinking that's absurd. F you, Eric. You're just a game designer. Stay out of public policy. I'm saying, ah, oh, no, au contraire. I think, I think game designers. Oh, we're not
1: elected officials. We're just gonna run some thought experiments.
0: Run thought experiments. Mm-hmm. And a practical matter, mm-hmm. people who practice online game design as a daily profession have more iterations, more shots on goals, more mm-hmm. failures, more successes than I argue a senator or a congressperson does. Yeah,
1: yeah, I would say that's true. And, you know, they can make, you know, faster decisions and like their iteration model is much quicker. Right. Right. As lower, lower impact, right, because, you know, the fate of nations isn't involved, but being able to run a sim just like... You know, using AI to run a bunch of simulations to figure out what the best design
0: is. Right. Same difference, right? Right. And now we get to to some deep, deep philosophical questions. You said, you know, less impact than in a game. But like, but like, like look at Putin right now and his invasion of Ukraine. He's, he's happy to have a thousand of his citizens die a day.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, I would argue because that's a big gear shift, but that Russia is a very centralized government, right? There you go. Effectively, there's you know, the United States has 520, which is not that many for a right. nation of 330 million, but Russia's like 130, right. are in the, the KGB slash right. you know, Putin empire that run the whole show. Right. So it's very, very singular and very concentrated.
0: Right, I don't want to I don't want to derail too far and go off on the Russian thing, but I just wanted to use that as another example. If you run public policy of a, of a nation state, mm-hmm. whether progressive and open like we think the United States is, and I agree, or if it's closed and centralized like Russia, either way, you still, are in control of those rules, and for the most part, your citizens can't leave the game. Yep, it's very difficult.
1: Well, you know, unless it's we're all in a simulation, in which case there's game theory going out at play there too. That's right, but that's another separate derailment. Right.
0: <laughs> so, so that's kind of a big long preamble. So let me throw it back to you, John. John, we're playing this MMO. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think is a, in a gamer term, OP build if, mm. in a character class? If you were to roll again right now, if you could snap your fingers. It's John Blackman, V2, 18 years old, Okay. what would you get yourself into right now? Because you know the rules of the United States. Okay, okay, okay.
1: Well, I mean, just from what I know, and I don't know everything, so I'm limited to my own experience. There was one, I remember reading this one article from like a money manager, who like the top 1% of the top 1%. uh, And he said that all of his clients were in one of three areas, right? And that was real estate, financial services, and government contracts, right? So those arguably are the three most lucrative things that you could be in in the United States, right? So I like real estate because it's approachable, you can get in even very small, you can just buy a rental home, it's super easy, right? So the earlier you can get into real estate, the better, I think. Um, Now that's a very deep topic, you, you know, all sorts of stuff that you can buy that you can do well and poorly at, but learning how to manage like the largest asset class in the United States, which is real estate, is. You know, it's very accessible and anyone can get into it. And it's 25% of our GDP is in real estate. So if you are just show up and do the work, it's hard to lose in real estate.
0: And real estate is really, um, I would say, the most accessible form of financial leveraging for the common person, right? You you put down your down payment 10 20%. You get to have an asset 10 or 5 times as large. And you get to enjoy the appreciation of the top line of that asset yep. value, but having only put down the smaller piece. Yeah,
1: and I mean, like, there'd be plenty of people that will argue that a personal home isn't an investment. You know, I could argue that back and forth for, for hours, but without getting in too deep into the weeds on real estate, it's like one of the most common ways to grow wealth in the United States and really in, anywhere in the world, the thing I like about it is it's a linear model. Yeah. Um, and I'll share a little bit about my thought process from like as a young man is like if you're going to get into startups, which are super fun, but they're high risk. Right. And so the chance of a, like a tech startup succeeding is say five percent, um, and let's say it takes at least eighteen months to figure out if that startup is going to yeah. work. Then you can roll the dice, you know, twenty times to get one takeoff. That's right. And so twenty times times eighteen months that's thirty years. Right. Right. So you've got 30 years to, to make it. And if you don't, you're going to run out of time. And that's what happened to me. Did so you, I did said, I ran out of time. I'm going into real
0: estate. Did you know that uh, of the Ben & Jerry's ice cream, Ben & Jerry, mm-hmm. did you know the ice cream venture was their 19th attempt? See, there you go. That just proves the stat. Right? <laughs> I've I've been doing startups all my whole life. Um, this is my fourth or fifth game company, depending on how you count it. Mm-hmm. So ah. you've had an amazing success record, right? Well, Thank you. Yeah, good ratios. Yeah. But I couldn't imagine trying 19 at-bats yep. and going back to my friends and family. Number 19. Number Here 19 is this. It. Is, this is going to work. <laughs> this is Chunky good. monkey. Taste it. <laughs> that's right. You're like, after Chunky monkey, like, I'm in. Right. right. The, the emotional strength of those two guys has yeah. got to be just godly. Yeah, well, they did it, right? They did it. Um, the other one is, uh, what, government contracts.
1: Right. So that's, you know, everyone loves to talk about the waste in government contracts. Right. But that's just not something that I felt like I wanted to get into. I'm sure plenty of people have been successful there. Right. Um, But then the last one is financial services, and that one I think is obvious just because once you get to, like, the fulcrum of all leverage points is money, right?
0: So I like that one. So if you control the money,
1: then you control making the money. So if you're in financial services, there's lots of money to be made if you
0: want to conquer that realm. I was really blown away when somebody unpacked for me Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway for the first time for me. Mm -hmm warren buffett was a a junior stock trader in new york and he really wanted to make a lot of money Mm -hmm. and uh he thought about it he thought about it thought about it he's like well you know to to go make a lot of money i need some capital Mm -hmm. and he's like how can i get capital one is i could just work really hard and save Mm -hmm. and then i'd have accumulated savings right i have capital he didn't like that because that takes too long yep he thought about well I could create a company, and then I could sell some seed round equity. I could sell off 20%, 30% of my company. Uh, He rejected that, because he really didn't like the idea that he sells sells at once a 20% 20 slice of his company, and then that equity holder has a forever rent on his work. Yep. Again, this guy's stubborn. So he thought, well, okay, then the other thing is I could go borrow money, mm-hmm. some sort of debt structure. I could sell a bond or something like that. But then I got to pay interest, and he didn't like paying interest. Mm-hmm. So Warren Buffett, at a super young age, I don't remember how old he was, but he was definitely in his 20s when he hit on the idea that he was gonna go buy a distressed insurance company out in Omaha, Nebraska. Yep. And he realized, would it be a lot better if people just voluntarily sent him capital mm-hmm. In the form of premiums of an insurance company, yeah. and then he would sit on those premiums and then reinvest it himself, and he would pocket. Yeah, he manage that money. Pocket whatever the investment does less his payouts yeah. as an insurance company. Now, the key with that model is you have to be a good investor, right? right? <laughs> because you have to give that
1: money back. That's the way insurance companies work. Uh, you also have to be a good insurance agent. Yes, and you have to be good at underwriting. Yeah, you
0: have to be really good at picking what you're going to. Yeah, what you're going to. So I, I would
1: argue that you know that's a great way for getting capital. Um, but like you look at life insurance companies, they've been around for literally hundreds of years. It's yeah. very difficult for them to fail because the actuary science is so good. Um, but he is he's a knowledge guy, right? He's like, like I'm gonna read every single page of that financial statement every quarter, those 200 page things you get in the mail when you buy a stock of a company that yeah. you go, there's no way I'm reading this and you throw it in the recycle bin. He will study the heck out of those and knows them better than anyone else. Um, so I think that his, his diligence and homework and really being able to really understand the true value of a company um, Is what led to his success
0: so if we were to say warren buffett was a gamer in an rpg world we'd say he's really a a super rules geek he's a real min maxer he's gonna he's gonna read every every rules expansion he's gonna get it down the details yep he's gonna go the online he he knows
1: he knows the math of every single trade in the game yeah right like okay this thing costs this much it sells for this much this is what it costs to produce etc so he knows he's like really getting that integral tight right that's right
0: Okay, so again, John Black he's he just rolled 18 years old, March 23, Silicon Valley Bank just had a run and failed. Yeah. You're 18, are you picking real estate, government contracts, or financial services? You know, I would probably just tweak a little bit of what I did. I still like the startup
1: space because it's just so fun. Okay. Because you get to build something new that really like makes a ding. Um, but the thing is, most of them are going to fail. So I would use my youth to take those shots because right. right. like at the end of the day, you're gonna die, and you gotta give yourself the 85 test, like, which is like if I'm on my deathbed at 85, I want to look back and think, yeah, I, I had some good runs. I tried. I don't care if I failed, but I wanted to try the things that really mattered to me the most. Um, and you make as you roll those dice as many times as you can, until you realize like, okay, you've either hit it, or you're out of time. Maybe you've gotten married, start to have kids, um, and if you haven't made your money by then, then real estate's kind of the plan B, right? Because yeah. the nice thing about real estate is if you just follow the models. It will have a great linear growth, and in five to ten years, you can make plenty of money in real
0: estate. That's awesome. Um, this is purely from like a financial angle. That's right? right. Well, we're running your character in the MMO. Right, right. But the, what what I know of your business, Heart of Austin, has a very strong entrepreneurial startup kind of flavor, a tech veneer, right? You've right. kind of blended your your passion for startups with Yeah, well, with constant your... exposure does lead to some contamination. All right. <laughs> Right. Um, so is there, is there an opportunity for an 18-year-old John Blackmantu to do, to, to do something in real estate that's also a startup? Uh, potentially. I mean, I,
1: I explore kind of like the tech side of things with, um, with the construction business in the 3D printing space. Yeah. Uh, and so that the goal there is to be able to produce a cheaper home that is as good or better than a regular stick frame home. So that's kind of like the tech angle that I bring to, to real estate. Um, but that's also very capital intensive. Like I wouldn't be able to do that at 18. I could go work for someone else who, who did that potentially. Um, but as you get older, you get more capital and you can get more control. But when you're younger, certainly yeah, you can go work for companies that do kind of the, more that innovative type stuff. But it just really depends on what you like. That could be a great potential startup, right? To go into new technologies or on anything. It doesn't have to be um, ones and zeros in software. It could be in
0: manufacturing or yeah. building or, you know, pick your industry, right? So, so, Knowing the rules, you can be a white-collar office worker with a W2, mm-hmm. or you could run your own business. I was really impressed. I don't know the name off the top of my head, but there is a kid up in the Seattle area mm-hmm. that, in the middle of the pandemic, he founded a power washing company of all things.? Okay. He just had two trucks with a mobile power washer, yep and he would go out and power wash people's brick-facing stuff, their yep. pavements, all that kind of stuff. yep. But in just two years, his top line revenue is now $1.3 million a year. Okay. Fantastic. Running two or three trucks. Okay. Just two or three trucks? Yeah. And wow. he's, he's got branding on it. He's got right. more and more business all yeah. the time. I mean, that's not unusual for a small biz. Right. right? A, a good small business
1: can have a top line in the, you know, low millions. Right. And not too long. It just depends on the business and the model. There's so many out there. And this is, I think, also a giant gap in education is you just don't know, right? Like you come out of high school or college, you don't know that like a power washing business can make a million a year or like a plumbing business can make two or three million a year. Right. Or like something that you just think is totally benign. Like that's a multi-million dollar business. That's right. Right? And like no one no one tells you that until you go like knock on the door and be like, hey, how does this business work? That's right. Right. And you'll I've... just never find out. Like this brewery that we're at. Yeah. I, I have no idea what its numbers are. I have no clue how the alcohol business sales works. But you know, you just do the math, five dollar beer, the cost of goods is probably 50, 60 cents. How many beers do you have to sell to make a million dollars? How many people come in the door? You just start doing the math to figure out what it would take to make the money you want.
0: Right. Now, it used to be in the 1950s and 60s, you could go work for a, um, a Fairchild semiconductor, a Honeywell, a General Motors. Yep. And you could work there 20 years, and you'd be part of their pension. Yep. And the pension was excellent. Yep. You'd get benefits, you had structure. Yep. But we just saw, in this quarter, I've never saw it in my life. I didn't think this was going to happen. All of the big techs, the big fangs. Mm-hmm. Google did a surprise layoff of 14% of their workforce. Okay. And I've got lots of people of contacts inside of Google. I've got L6s, L7s, mm-hmm. and L8s. Mm-hmm. They did not know it was going to go down. Yep. They laid off people who've been working there faithfully 20 years. Yep.
1: Guess I f- what? When you get older, it's like the joke. You know what they do with the? 40-year-old engineer, They <laughs> take him up back and shoot him, right? Right. Um, I don't know if that's exactly how the joke goes, but you get more expensive
0: as you as you get older. You right? get older, but the, the we used to have, you know, a lot of people would say, hey, you know, come work for us. It's really a family. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot of cynicism around that I think well-deserved. I actually hate that expression. Yeah, yeah,
1: I think a sales force was used that as their motto.
0: Yeah. Right? I think that's bullshit, you know? The most profitable companies that humanity has ever made the current crop of big tech companies, so profitable, yet with the slightest amount of headwinds, they're like, ah, I'm going to get rid of 14% of my people. Yeah, well, I mean, think about it. What are they optimizing for? Right, They're optimizing for shareholder return
1: value. Right. And like, this is not a judgment. Right? right? I'm not saying this is good or bad. Right. It just is. Uh, and so like, if their cost of capital is going up, and like, people have been screaming this for a long time, that, hey, tech companies are only growing because they can borrow so cheap. Right, right? So it's like, We've known this day was coming, right? Right, and so now it's here, and everyone's surprised. Yeah, look at anything two or three years ago, and you can you can see that it was coming. Um, But yeah, I mean, a job isn't necessarily secure. Now, if you own your own company, you're—I would argue—more secure. Right. Now, getting there is harder because it's scarier, right? You don't necessarily know how to do it, and you don't have a regular paycheck. Um, But if you can figure it out, and sometimes it may take you a couple times, right? um, Then, to me, that's really where like financial security. And which is what I'm really into and why I use real estate to do it, it lets you, it gives you kind of that freedom of your own voice, right? Like no one's going to say like, well, I can fire you if you you know, say something on Twitter I don't like. Oh, I don't care. I got what they call that, the F you money, right? That's right. And so if I've got that security, then I can kind of do whatever I like, right?
0: So I would argue, if I was, if I was advising John Blackman to at 18, I'd actually, I would tell the guy, go do your startup at 18. Yeah. I would say, don't go put, these most beautiful quality of years into the hands of a big megacorp. Honestly, But we, well, you can learn a lot at megacorp. You corps. can learn a lot there. But I think you could I also like the term megacorp. It sounds so cyberpunk, right? But I think you could, <laughs> I think you could also learn a whole lot yeah. by building your own business. You can, right? and I think you should build it, and ironically, fail fast. Yeah. Right there's this wonderful concept: national write a novel in a month, yeah. NANIMO, in November. Okay, and the idea with fiction writers, we're like, look, you got five shitty novels. in Right, you. right. Go ahead and get them out. Get them out. <laughs> so one like you got five bad business ideas? Like, just get them done. Just right. get them done. Yeah. Right. So imagine if you're 18. You're like, okay, I'm going to time cap each business to two years. Mm-hmm. Right. Boom, boom, boom. Yep. By 24, 26, how much of a how how badass would you be?
1: Oh yeah. Right. The problem is that in those two years, like if you're failing, depending on how much you are, like you got to make enough money to like, you know, cover rent and groceries. And, you know, the fact that you're living being with expenses. Right. That's your your greatest weakness. So that is the uh, that's the part that usually stops people's like, man, look, I just got to cover my bills. Right. Right. And like when you're starting a business,
0: usually they cost money. right? It, it does. But there is fantastic changes. When I started. My first game company that I launched was Taldron and I launched it in nineteen ninety nine. Okay. And back then we had to publish our games through only Electronics Boutique. Oh, yeah. Or Game GameStop. I remember Electronics Boutique is the only reason I went to the mall. Yeah, or, or Best Buy. Right. And we couldn't even talk to those companies because we were too small. So we had to work with an interplay and in Activision. Yeah. We had to submit and essentially be a work for hire yep. for them. Because you needed a publisher, right? Because you needed a publisher. That was terrible. And then if we had an online game back in nineteen ninety nine, well we needed a data center. And mm-hmm. the data center we'd have to go buy the servers yep. and stick them in the rack. Mm-hmm. And we would have to know how much traffic we're gonna have. Yep. And if you have a if you have a consumer facing product you're only either growing rapidly or, or failing rapidly. Yeah, yeah. But steady state is just not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. So buying a data center, hardware stuff, that was tough. Yeah, before Amazon, right? And yeah, it Distributed was, cloud services or I had,
1: Microsoft does it too, right?
0: Yeah, when I had GoPets in the aughts, you know, one of the things that was hard for me is I had to go buy uh, dedicated um, hardware and I had to like sign up for like twenty five dollars to $40,000 a month of, mm-hmm. of services when I didn't have clarity on where it's going to go. Yeah, yeah. So you've got now cloud compute now. Yeah. You can string together. And it's really cheap up front, right? It's super cheap up front. In fact, if you join any accelerator, like we joined Capital Factory, if you're able to join uh, an Accelerator Capital Factory or Highway 1, typically you'll get Mm 100,000 credits from both Google and from Amazon.
1: Yeah. Because they want you long term when you succeed. That's right. Right. Which is great. I mean like to me that's a great trade. Like, hey yeah, look when you're small, yeah. you don't cost them that much. Yeah. Right. You can play around and if you go anywhere it didn't cost them that much. Right. But it also gives you the opportunity to grow and like, oh now we can charge you fees because you've got a lot of users. Yeah. Which you're okay with because you're making revenue.
0: That's right. A little dark side though is if you got a hundred thousand dollars of free cost and you set up your service stuff. Oh do you get taxed on that? No you don't get taxed on it. Oh, okay. But you might be fat and lazy and not ring out the ultimate efficiency because yeah. you're not really spending your dollars yet. Yeah yeah. And I think, I've been thinking about that, that's probably designed by the product managers over there. Yeah. Because by the time you have scaled, now it's, now it's a distraction to go back and try to make that yeah. more efficient. Oh, I got to go do technical debt or new features. Yeah. Easy choice there for most developers. Right? And then, of course, we want to talk about AI at some point, because AI is just changing the absolute universe. Yeah. But, but I argue that. It's be- so early there, too. I argue, though, that between cloud compute and AI, um, the gig economy, the internet, Social media, social access to marketing, the decentralization and accessibility of everything, There's been no better time to ever create a startup ever in human civilization than, than today. Yeah, it seems like we keep saying that, right? It just like gets I better. heard that
1: five years ago. I heard it ten years ago. Yeah. And I think it was true five years ago, yeah. and ten years ago. Yeah. Right. So yeah, the the costs are really low. Um, it depends on the type of business you're doing, of course. Yeah. Right. But especially in the digital space, like it doesn't take many many brains put together to make a, a digital product that you can. Start selling pretty fast, especially if you know what you're doing.
0: Yeah. yeah. Heck, so, even
1: if you don't, then just, you know, surround yourself with people that do.
0: Right. right. And that's
1: how that guy, um... Just like not knowing those business models, like you just got to be around the people that you want to rub off on you. Right. right. So get around that business owner and you'll you'll figure it out.
0: There's that guy, Tim Ferriss. Oh, yeah. I know Tim.
1: He, li- he lives, I don't know him personally, but he lives in Austin. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And it's funny. I saw him on his bike one day. I was just like driving down the street, like somewhere in like... West Austin, but east of thirty-five, and like there was Tim Ferriss on his bike. I'm
0: like, oh, there's the guy. I just bumped into Joe Rogan a couple of weeks ago. Oh, really? In person? Yeah, at HEB. Oh, that's funny. He was at <laughs> HEB himself. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Totally regular guy. Yeah. yeah well, they,
1: like he just opened a comedy club downtown, right? Yeah. 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 I don't. Is it open? Open? I don't know. I, I, I think, wanna, I I think like it's open. Open or very soon, if not. Okay. I have to check. Depends go. on when this comes out.
0: We should go check it out. Yeah. Um. So cool. Yeah. So I think John Blackman too should. Open a, a number of startups, leveraging all the uh, cloud compute yeah. AI ca- capabilities, and uh, and probably probably do some sort of service early on. Services seem easier to sell, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, if I were in my early twenties and I was myself then,
1: I would probably try and build an online game, right? Okay. Uh, just because I was more into that when I was younger, yeah. And it's just gotten easier and easier now. Um, of course, you need like talent and people to put that stuff together, but. You know, it's much easier now than it was before, especially with the advent of mobile gaming and stuff, so I would probably try that a couple times in my 20s, given my own personality, right? Doesn't mean that's the right business to do, but that's just probably what I would. Right. I… Because uh, they scale real fast and if you can… Yeah. If you can get just a couple dollars per user, um, then you got to acquire the user, then they can be really successful. Plus, they're just super fun. Right. right?
0: And, you know… Incentivize your current users to go get you the next set of users.
1: Yeah, in fact, the, uh, I remember like the moment that I fell out of love with the gaming business was the day I realized that publishers make more than developers. That's right. right? As soon as I found out that out, I'm like, well, what the? Yep. And <laughs> it just became a business to me, and I was just like, oh, this is lame, right? This is like I was totally disillusioned. <laughs> that at that point, like gaming was just like it's just a job like any other.
0: Um, uh, well, that that when I figured that out. Is when I flip the table and I move myself and my family to South Korea uh-huh. to go build GoPets. Yep. Um, so the theme here, I think, is think from a first principles basis. Look at the rules of the game, and don't accept the the the, uh, the common uh, narrative around the rules. Yeah. Well, the common narrative is always when you hear first. Yeah. Like, uh, probably don't do what Jim Cramer tells
1: you. Oh yeah, I know. I mean. I don't know. You could just put all of his recommendations in a sheet and he's probably 50-50, just like everybody else.
0: Do you know there's now an exchange trade fund that's, that's short Jim Cramer? Oh, really? That's hilarious. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I
1: mean, I, I, don't, I don't do stock trading anymore. I used to. in My 20-some, uh, yeah. I, I did not beat the S&P. There would be times where I made money, but maybe the S&P was better. Uh, but unless you are like the top 5% of your craft in stock trading, you're most likely going to lose money. And you're going to spend time to lose money instead of just like investing in a fund or something. This is not financial advice. This is just my own opinion. Right. Um, which is why I like real estate because you win as soon as you buy the land because right. no one else can get that piece of land. Right. Right. So there you, you've won and you, now you've, you've out-competed everybody as soon as you've made your purchase. And so it's almost practically guaranteed, right? As long as you ran your numbers right.
0: So let's go with real estate. That's an area that you have high expertise. Mm-hmm. And real estate also neatly lines up in this... this um, this context. Mm-hmm. What are the rules of the MMO? Right. There's a lot of rules around real estate from yep. the government's point of view. Yep. And let's one. pressure test some of these rules. And another observation that I have, when you sit down for a board game mm-hmm. with your friends and family, you set up the pieces a beer, yep. everybody knows what is the victory conditions uh-huh. before they play. You cannot get people to play the game and say, well, I'll tell you later yeah. what the rules are. People <laughs> so are like, how to optimize
1: your play. Right? People
0: are like, phew, I'm not playing a game I yeah, don't know yep. what the rules are. Yep. But I argue in the United States, not only are we not clear about the rules, we're also really not clear about what the wind conditions are. Mm-hmm. So, wind conditions are kind of personal, right? Right. So let's. Depends on what you value. Right. So let's start going on the real estate on that thread. And let's talk about. Okay, so
1: I'm, I'm going to ask you, what
0: are my wind conditions, Eric? Well, no, I'm going to you. That's what we're going to figure out together. OK. We're critiquing public policy around real estate law in America. OK. I'll start with the first question should foreign individuals or foreign entities be allowed to purchase and own real estate in the United States? Oh, gosh. I don't know the answer to that question.
1: I mean, currently they are. Right.
0: Right. Um, a lot of times they're done
1: through different entities where like they're kind of co-owned, like you've got partnerships. Right. Okay. Here's an entity that buys stuff. And you know, maybe this other foreign entity came in and bought a little piece of it. So now it's co-owned with domestic and foreign. Um, I know that there are some wholly owned entities that are owned by foreign nationals, but uh, to me that's like a, I don't
0: know. An interlude in this question, uh, the Biden administration just said last night Mm. that uh, ByteDance needs to sell TikTok or get the F out of the United States. Yep. And the Chinese are like, oh my God, that's crazy, that's unfair. Mm. Yet, I don't know how many Americans know this, no one. Is allowed to operate an online game or an online oh, yeah, service in or an internet thing in the, in China, nope. you're not allowed to. Nope. If you want to, you have to have a joint venture mm-hmm. where a local Chinese company owns 51%. Yep. You have to. Yep. So so these Chinese guys are going, oh my, you're being unfair to us, mm-hmm. yet that's what they, your own medicine. Taste right? your own medicine day in and day out,
1: yeah. right? But it's funny, they're only worried about TikTok, right? Because right. I'm sure there are other entities that China owns, but I mean. Oh, many, many more. Like, TikTok, like, if I were to put it distinctly, it's, it's it's effectively mind control, yeah. right? Like the version one of mind control. Yep. Because it knows exactly how many videos you watch. It knows which ones you watch. It knows like, hey, I can create certain emotional impacts of certain videos so it can feed you certain emotional videos to you know, effectively adjust your mood. At least that's what China's doing with it in China. I don't know if they're doing that in the United States. That's right. But the capability is certainly there. Right, we got big data, we got yep. all sorts of problems on that. And like from China's point of view, like they've had 13 civil wars over their, yeah. the course of their history, which is much longer than the United States. So like stability is like pry one for China. Like human rights, F that stuff. We don't want a civil war, we want stability,
0: and we'll do whatever it takes to right. keep things stable. So if we're gonna mind control you with TikTok, we're gonna do it. That's right. right. It's one thing for us to have really strong opinions on what the chinese people should do Mm -hmm. with their government and how they organize themselves but i was pointing out ironically china protects itself from foreign ownership Mm -hmm. not only of real estate but of anything so back to us is it good for us and i label us being the citizens of america Mm -hmm. playing the mmo is it good for the average player of this game that foreign entities or corporations can own our real estate. Okay,
1: I'm going to give you an uninformed answer. Good. Right. (laughs) And I'm going to say yes. And my main reason is that you want to encourage capital investment in your economy. Now, that's only just one angle. I'm sure there are plenty of reasons you can tell me why, like, no, you shouldn't, which are probably good reasons. But I, just as like a real estate investor and someone who thinks that free trade is a good thing, um, enabling foreign capital flows into your economy in general is a good thing, because it means that more can happen, you've got money flowing in, that means there's more opportunity, more development, um, and generally good things happen when capital flows into your country. So like El Salvador, for example, not to get too far detached in El Salvador, they've recently had some big political changes and upheavals, you know, with what they've done with the, the gangs and stuff down there, and now capital investment is looking like it's gonna come flooding into El Salvador because of how they've changed their politics and changed what's going on with the the gangs and crime there. And so as that money flows into that country, it will do a lot of good things for El Salvador. Now, the United States is a developed nation, but the argument is still fundamentally the same. Now, maybe you get to a point where like, hey, I don't want the country to be owned 51% by foreign nationals, then like, hey, we lose our autonomy, that sort of thing. Um, So yeah, that's kind of a gray line, but I don't think I could speak intelligently as to where that line should be.
0: Okay, but I think we can... I think we could drill down. Drill, drill down on this. Mm-hmm. Um, on a first order, yes, it's it's good to have foreign capital deployed in the United States and develop and improve the real estate, mm-hmm. right? Because then you're taking raw, you all the sorts of companies, right? Anyway, it doesn't matter if it's real estate or a company, at, right? but yeah. we're, we're sticking with real estate. Sure. You, you take a raw piece of land. Some investors from China come in mm-hmm. and they say, "Hey, great! We're going to turn that into a, a custom brewery on Fitsu." Sure. So now, other citizens now have the benefit of having a custom brewery. Mm-hmm. Uh, the local construction crews got to build a building. Mm-hmm. Their staff, all that's pretty good. Pretty Tax good. revenue is all the good stuff. Pretty good. Now, when I was in South Korea, mm-hmm. I got confronted with something called the IMF event. Okay. I didn't know what it was. I moved to South Korea in 2003, mm-hmm. but South Korea experienced something called the IMF event in 1997. Okay, it sounds onerous. It is very onerous okay. and very dark. Um, like and, there's a red eye with a gray background. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, and what happened was, you gotta roll the clock back even further to the early 80s. Okay. In the early 80s, Toyota, and Nissan and all and Mitsubishi, all the great Japanese car manufacturing companies, really broke through, mm-hmm. and really disrupted the great American car companies. Yep, yep, they did. And that just shook the nerves of America. Mm-hmm. We had business schools where people were starting to learn Japanese. Mm-hmm. We thought we were all going to live and work for the Japanese. Yep, Kanban method, right? Right, Kanban method. This is way before we had the Japanese deflation thing, right? Mm-hmm. It was scary. I remember that in the eighties, like Japan was like kind of economic enemy number one. Right. So in 1984, there was something called the Honda Accords. Mm-hmm. Where, <laughs> That's so funny. Where, <laughs> where, I don't know, because I wasn't, Honda Accord. Yeah, I wasn't there because I wasn't in the meeting, of course. It's a good car. Because I don't hang out with the, the Honda Accord. With, Accord. Yeah, <laughs> right? Where I wasn't involved in these meetings. But the United States demanded mm-hmm. that Japan um, revalue their currency mm-hmm to make all of their exports 40% more expensive instantly, Yeah. or the United States was going to cut off all Japanese cars. Yep. It was economic warfare. They were yep. like, F you. Trade protectionism, sure. Right? And so overnight, Japanese exports were ridiculously expensive. Yep. The result of that was um, these tiger nations. What happened was, When a Sony TV was grossly expensive, Mm -hmm. or a Mitsubishi car was grossly expensive, investors shifted their capital Mm -hmm. to places like South Korea. And they invested in manufacturers like Hyundai and Samsung, LG, and started investing in those places. But also Thailand... trade restrictions didn't exist, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. and they put their capital in. Now, Japan suffered with stagflation from 1984 until 1997. They were in the penalty box. They were sad, grumpy, weren't making any money, famously bad, suicide rates went up, I mean, real consequences. Yeah, yeah. And then Japan came back to the United States and said, hey man, it's 13 years. 13 years where we've just, sh- taken thrott- on the chin, yeah. take it on the chin. we've throttled down our manufacturing, we're not competing at the rate we can because you told us we can't. Mm-hmm. Can we revalue the currency again? And we said, yeah, all right. 13 years is good enough. Mm -hmm. And we allowed the yen to go back down to where it went. What do you think the consequence of that was, John? Well, I imagine
1: the Japanese imports got less expensive and now they started to out-compete American cars, or at least compete with American
0: cars. Right, but not only that, put yourself back into 1997. Do you want a Sony TV or do you want an LG TV in 1997? Oh, gosh, I can't remember which brand was better or not. But I mean, to me, most TVs
1: like I can't tell the difference between most of them. You can't now,
0: but uh-huh. try to jog your memory.
1: At the time, yeah, maybe you, before LG was the brand. Japanese, it is today, Japanese
0: then, electronics were good. Yeah, but other other yeah, Asian we're still countries a were flaky, crap. Right? Yeah. Do you want a TV made in Czechoslovakia?
1: Oh, today, yeah, probably not. Right. Right. Don't know of any brands of. Do you want one made in Afghanistan? Probably not. Right. Right. Same difference. Right. That's right. Okay. I get you.
0: So, so what happened was, on the IMF event, So all when the, was this IMF event? So there was the re, it was the revaluing of the Japanese currency. So this is 97? 97. Okay. 40% cheaper. All of a sudden, Japanese TVs were now cheaper than Korean TVs. Oh, okay. So Japanese TVs were higher perceived quality okay. and cheaper. Okay. So what Double happened, whammy. So what happened was, all the investors were like, great, I want to have my capital back. Yeah, and I want to go put it in Japan now. And I want it back today. Yeah. And I want to put it in Japan. Mm. And so the investors just literally took all their cash out okay. instantly. Yep. And it was hard because these Korean industrial giants, they can't just liquidate factories yep. and give back the cash like that. Yep. And so what happened is South Korea gave every single hard currency reserve they could to pay off the investors mm-hmm. and ran out of hard currency. Right. And we run the World Bank and the IMF, the United States, yep. and we told South Korea, like, you really need to honor your debts. If you want to be a first world nation, you have to honor your debts. Right. And you cannot do capital controls. You can't restrict your investors for taking the money out. You have to be upstanding, you have to be trustworthy. Right, right. You have to honor your debts. Like like you know, the, the parent going, you know. Yeah. And but they ran out of cash. Yeah. So what happened next, do you think, John? Well, if they're out of cash, they probably take on debt. No, we didn't want their debt. Right, well from somewhere else. If 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 they need cash, mm-hmm. And we're not willing to lend them money, but we're demanding they have cash. Well, then it. I
1: guess we're going to take their equity.
0: Right. And so that's what happened is the U.S. came in and said to South Korea, hey, we looked at the city of Seoul and we've calculated the value of the most premium 35% of the city. Mm-hmm. We're going to give you 10 cents on the dollar for that, <sighs> for hard cash today. Wow. And we economically just went to town. Just bought
1: Seoul for 10 cents on the dollar yeah, We did. Yeah, it was
0: brutal. It was oh. economic warfare. Yeah. And the Koreans hated us for that. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I mean warfare exists in all phases besides like political, yeah. economic, and then ultimately it comes to kinetic after the economic stuff tends right. to fail. But most wars are have started over right. economic trade routes. But you know, the United States, like it or not, it can afford to be an economic bully. Right. So, right. so I'm pr- it sounds like that's what they did.
0: That's right. So I'm pressure testing the idea of of you want to induce capital in, mm-hmm. like you were saying, it would be great for foreigners to come in and, and invest in a real estate. That in unto itself, I don't disagree with. Mm. But having seen the actual effect on a people and the economy. Well, it also
1: sounds like in that situation, like South Korea is a much smaller nation than the United States, right?
0: 40 million people.
1: Right. But in terms of Like, you have a juggernaut coming up and buying a a large portion of their entire country. Right. Right. There's a difference between that and, like, allowing the Saudis to buy an apartment building. Right. It's like, what
0: percentage? Like, it would be very difficult for anyone to buy 50% of the United States. Well, but we're seeing the Chinese and the Saudis buy, um, like, large-scale aquifers in the United States. Yeah. And buying the permanent right to rent water yeah. back to the Americans. Well, that's, a, that's a good play, actually, because water's going to become harder to good do. Good play for them. Yeah. But is it run. good for us playing this MMO where we can't leave?
1: Well, it depends on whether or not, because you also get the you know, concept of nationalization, right? The United States could say, you know what? We're just going to take that back. Sorry. Saudi Arabia doesn't have the military to, to back it up, so they would just have to go, they'd have to suck it up and take the loss. Whereas, as a smaller nation state, they can't do that. But because... We had the largest military everyone complains about military expense but it does effectively allow us to be an economic bully because no one can really stand up to us in that regard and you have to choose a side in the china russia side maybe india's kind of in the middle versus the euro western united states those are the, like the two power hemispheres and you're gonna have to choose one of those teams right, right? With, with all the good and bad it's right. like well like i'm gonna team up with the schoolyard bully because like well, he's got the most friends, he's the biggest, he's got the biggest sticks, right? Yeah. I don't like him, but it's either that or the other guy, and like, I'm gonna get my ass kicked over there.
0: Right. Another example of this is...
1: Again, none of this is defensive, it's just kind of explaining. Right, I'm just... Right. Another, At least from my, my limited perspective.
0: I'm drilling down on this. Another example of this is uh, the city of Chicago, mm-hmm. it's not the only city that have done this, mm-hmm. um, sold off its parking meter revenue rights mm-hmm. in a one-time sale event. Uh-huh. And in this case they yeah, did I remember hearing something about this. Was yeah, like to Saudi Arabia or something like it's that. It's to Saudi Arabia. And they sold it forgive me if I get the numbers wrong, but they sold it for like 1.5 billion dollars up front. Boom, the city's got 1.5 billion dollars. But they sold off a really long-term uh, rent, which is like 50 years mm-hmm. of parking fines. Wow. And they could have just simply done the math and showed that that's like a 35-15 billion dollar revenue stream mm-hmm. that they sold for a billion and a half. Yeah. And you could say, well, that was dumb. Why did they do that? Because they needed cash now. Or you have a public official who has a short term term of residence. And he can can post the $1.5 billion win now, but he's not around in 5, 10, 20 years to take the slings on that. So I argue that, I would argue that allowing foreign capital in, I have an axiom, is only good. If, well, you, if you have equally strong controls about how that capital can leave the, leave that economy right so it's a matter of like, like any sort of cash flows
1: and this applies just even to the simplest real estate deal mm. right is you don't want to get into enough debt or even an equity partnership until it becomes existential right so as soon as someone else has 51% equity not your deal anymore right Right? if you get like 90 100% leveraged in even a simple real estate deal yeah. guess what you're just like a, a bad month away from like losing your property right, right? so if you are so over leveraged and over committed to like one source of funding, right. then yeah, you've got some existential risk on the plate. So right. to me, it's a risk management play. Like, hey, if I allow a little bit of foreign capital in to buy some assets, but it's less than 5% of the total ownership, okay. But if it's enough that they have real power to change your society, then yeah. hey, you've got some existential risk on the books. And so right. that's, I think the difference is being able to identify where that investment becomes too risky. Right. Right. And that's, that's different for every type of investment.
0: Another counterexample of this is when I was in South Korea, there were massive multi-million person protests mm-hmm. against um, trade deals with the United States. Because okay. the heart of the trade deals is the United M- you States... You were there in the 90s, late 90s? Uh, the aughts. Okay. And there were still massive mm-hmm. protests through the aughts. Um, and the nature of the deal was the United States produces rice very cheaply. Mm-hmm. I don't know a lot of people know this, but the United States produces rice more cheaply than China does.
1: Oh, I believe that. So, I mean, like, the United States is a massive breadbasket. It also has, like, the most well-developed um, uh, a, a latorial system, if that's the right word for it, river system. Yep. And so it can get stuff from farm to market more easily than, like, any other country in the world. Right. And... Right. Like, the Mississippi River Delta is just, like, this crazy OP geographical feature that the United States has.
0: And we're ruthless about applying um, technological innovations to agriculture. Mm-hmm. We, we're not about protecting farmers' jobs, right? The farmers used to have 85, 90, farmers, right? We used to have 85, 90% of our, of our citizens playing. Small so farmers
1: or industrial farmers?
0: Right? 90% of the population in the United States used to be farmers a century ago. Mm-hmm. Now it's sub 3%. Which I think is a good thing. I think it's a good thing too, but it shows have how. You ever farmed before? Right. It's I, terrible work. <laughs> it's, not, it's not fun. <laughs> yeah. Gardening is a different thing. It is, yeah. But we want to sell rice to Korea mm-hmm. at our price. We want to sell it at our wholesaling price, and we want to enter the Korean rice market, and we want to dominate the recurring rice market. Now, the Korean Peninsula has very little arable land. It's one of the most mountainous regions on the planet. Yep. It's really crappy. Most of the farms there are sub one acre. Yeah. Doesn't lend itself to automation. Yep. There is nothing that Korea could do to ever compete with the United States on making rice. Yep. It's impossible. So they should just make TVs and buy our rice. That's the United States' argument. Mm-hmm. But the South Korean argument is, we cannot afford to become existentially dependent to you on food. Yeah, that's a good argument. It's a very good argument. Yep. Yeah. And when you say it, that's clearly like, oh yeah. So it's subtle, like whether well, I mean, this is a problem
1: like worldwide right now. Yeah. Right, because food production is certainly not local. There are a lot of countries that import massive amounts of food, especially in the Middle East. Like Egypt imports a ton of food. Right. They get it mostly from Russia, actually. The right. Ukraine grain crisis is going to impact Egypt more than anybody else. Right. Um, China is a food importer. Right. Right. The United States, with only 330 million people, is a net food exporter by a large margin. Right. So there is enough food in the world to feed everybody, but it's not all produced right. where everybody is. So that's going to be potentially a lever especially as climate change comes along we're really just going all sorts of different directions um, that will be a very nasty political hammer right
0: Right. so so South Korea's stance was sure if you want to sell American rice you can if you want to sell American beef you can but we're going to tariff it up until the price of your your food products are similar in price point to South Korean products yeah you can compete on brand or taste or other things Mm -hmm. but you cannot compete on price because we can't beat you on price yeah and I'm honestly sympathetic to that argument about like I, if I was running a nation, if I was running that MMO, I don't want to become existentially dependent on another nation on the most fundamental of possible resources. Right, but
1: I imagine their population is sufficiently large that they just can't grow enough food. Correct. Right. On their, on their own land. And they could buy food from some other provider. They could buy it from, well, China's not a net food exporter, neither is Japan, neither yeah. is anywhere near South Korea. Right. So where's the closest food exporter? Right. The United States. Right. So even with those tariffs, it's probably cheaper. Them to get it from the United States than it is anywhere else.
0: Yes, right. Or are they going to get it from Europe? Right. So I, I'm going back to: Is it good to allow foreign capital in to improve your business of the real estate? Mm-hmm. Yes, that part's good. But I am worried or suspicious about what happens when they yank that capital back. Yeah. Do you allow them to yank it back inside of 24 hours, or do you tell that person, "Okay, cool. You want to get out of the market? That's fine. But you got to." Do it a tenure ten of a year or five or years, or, or, a, or yeah, a tenure wind down.
1: You know, it depends on the agreement,
0: right? Right. Um, so it gets more nuanced. So let me ask you. So that's. So John hinted that he and I are like di- see things differently a little bit. Um, classically, I would say, on an economic sense, um, John's got a more um, pro-individual, pro-free business, free market stance. I probably have a little bit more pro-group orientation, more probably pro-more regulation stance.
1: Yeah, I would say that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, with limits, of course. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because extreme on either end is, is also Yeah, yeah. When, once
1: the extremes kind of actually meet each other. Yeah, that's
0: right. <laughs> that's right. I, I have I have no respect for yeah. any centrally planned economy at all. They are all have yeah. been terrible. Yeah.
1: I mean, they sound like a good idea until, like, all the unknown negative externalities pop up, and you're like, oh, man, that was a terrible idea. Yeah. Right? But it's too late. by That's right. I, I also think that distributed power, in general, is better. Right. So anytime time yeah. where I can distribute something, I think you generally have better outcomes, and you have less concentration, which means less corruption, right. less leverage. Because if you've got a small group of people with a big lever, they're going to use it, right? And yeah. then usually that's going to be at the detriment of everyone.
0: Yeah. So lately, I've been trying on a label on myself lately yeah. as like, I love markets. Mm-hmm. I like price discovery of markets. So I like people and entities to have free exchange in the market. Yeah. Uh, but I think I am overall socialist by nature. I want. I want all of the players of the MMO. That's have a big heart. Yeah, thank right? you. Yeah, I, think I so. like to think they have a heart, too. You it's do, okay. You do. Because here's the dichotomy, right? Like,
1: you want it to be as fair of a playing field as possible. You want a meritocracy. Yeah. Right? Where like people are like, hey, if you work harder or you're smarter, you get to be rewarded. Hey, not everyone's going to have the same level of intelligence and capability, so there's going to be a slope. Yeah. But you don't want to just, like... Stick the guy on the ground with the sword just because you can get an extra buck out of him. Like, right, that's, that's just not cool. like, that just feels terrible, right? right? Right. So, you know, at the extremes, like, look, help the guy out who's like, just doesn't have the capacity. Like, it costs a little bit of tax. Okay, yeah. fine, I'm willing for that. And at the top end, you know, it's called capitalism that's for right. a reason. Right. It optimizes for capital. So, if you have more capital, you are more competitive and you're going to have more power than someone who doesn't because it's called can, can capitalism. We? So, at that yeah. end, it's like, well, look, dude, you've already got more money than God. Like, you don't necessarily need that much. I don't want to take someone's money away by force. But it's like, have a little bit of soul and figure out a way to make a contribution back to maybe the guy on the ground who's not doing so well. Now, the argument of, like, how we solve that, like, that is kind of the crux of the issue because people want to solve that problem in different ways. And that's where we argue. Like, should we do it through government? Should we do it through charity? Should we do it through, like, oh, you just decide to do it
0: with your own wealth yourself? Right. I don't know. And then, I'm glad you hit the word capitalism so hard. I've also been geeking out lately. I think I'm more of an originalist when it comes to capitalism, Mm -hmm. and I'm suspicious of a lot of the economic activity we have in the United States that would call capitalism, Mm -hmm. but I argue it's not capitalism anymore. Right,
1: because capital should go back to create… it should be efficient in being used.
0: It should be going back into new
1: production. Any capital that's not being used is not capitalism. Correct. So if you've got a giant cash pile that you're hoarding… Man, that's not capitalism, that's just mercantilism. Correct. Right, where mercantilism is the uh, accumulation of wealth for wealth estate, kind of like, you know,
0: accumulating gold in the 18th century. Yeah. I am um, stepping out of real estate, for example, but my biggest example of us losing our way on capitalism, but still using that word, is the large uh, stock buybacks. OK. I do not think stock buybacks are actually compatible with the true spirit of capitalism. Okay. All right.
1: I, like, I think there's some good arguments for that.
0: Yeah. I think that if a company has um, developed through productivity mm-hmm. and smart opportunity, they've generated excess capital. Mm-hmm. And the point of capitalism was great, let's redeploy that capital into new production. Yep. Now, one could say, well, cool, we're going to redeploy it by giving it back to the investors and letting the investors go figure it out. Yeah. I disagree, I disagree. I think that the stock buybacks are terrible for a whole bunch of different reasons, but the company should reinvest those profits into new products, lines, or services, or they should release the profits to the shareholders via the dividend, the original way of releasing capital back to investors. I see stock buybacks as nothing more than naked stock price manipulation. Yeah. And it's gimmicks. And it's gimmicks for the upper level executives on how their yep. comp package sure. works. Because the way they do it is they do a stock buyback, pump the stock up, yep. then they vote themselves into a new bunch of stock options. Yep. And that's all financial engineering. It has nothing yep. to do with new productivity.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, if you control the bulk of any liquidity, right, which is yeah. what stock buyback is, if you can buy enough of it back, yeah. like you said, yeah, you, you can totally pump the price.
0: Right. So I'm arguing that stock buybacks, as they're practiced in the current modern America, are not a form of capitalism.
1: I mean well there's all sorts of economic manipulation that goes on. And I would I would agree with you that, you know, again, you're you're controlling the liquidity, whether that's of dollars or, or stock. Yeah. So if you're controlling it because you have the most, then like yeah, you're by nature you can kind of set your own
0: pricing. So let me try something on for size. Mm-hmm. Let's see if we could do some game rules here.
1: I mean it might be different if you really could like put that capital back to use in your own company, but let's be Honest with ourselves, that's usually not what's going on. It's not like, hey, I need to buy this stock back so that I can, you know, spin up this new division and make an even better version of the iPhone. Right. Right. <laughs> right? I mean, like, like you're already doing that. Right. We also sub- S- sometimes it might be legit.
0: But- we also subsidize mm-hmm. most of America's top companies. Get a subsidy. Mm-hmm. In fact, even Million of Mars gets a subsidy. We have our R and D tax credits. Yep. Right. So we don't have free, place market market capitalism mm-hmm. we're not a free market we believe in shaping outcomes we do i would argue that if i was in charge of making the game rules mm-hmm. I, I would say like if you have ish, done a stock buyback within the last five years or you plan to in the next five years mm-hmm. you cannot take any form of public subsidy of any kind no tax breaks nothing because my my argument is why should the public through public policy mm-hmm. be bent to support your particular business. right? When you do have excess cash flow that you're using for, for stock prices. Yeah, you'd have to make
1: like a special IRS rule for that. I imagine that for the time being, it's just like, well, hey, just even playing field, so they just do it regardless. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I'm not a tax person in that oh, regard. Yeah.
0: And a lot of these conversations like, how would you get it done in the United States? That's very difficult. Right, gotta- but I mean,
1: I would also argue that those tax incentives, um, like in many ways they make the United States more competitive and in many ways they also just, they make it cheaper and reduce risk for developing certain things. Oh yeah, I am
0: right? be clear. Like, so
1: like research credits, like make it, they incentivize, again, it's, it goes back to what I was saying before, is the government wants us to be a high tech, high innovation society. So like, hey, oh, what, you're gonna buy a bunch of computers and spend a bunch of research doing to make a new product? Okay, great, we're gonna give you a tax break because we want more of that in the United States. That,
0: that's, but, a, that's a good example of why I feel is compatible with my framework, which is what's the group trying to achieve? Right and what structures can we do to help support that group get there that's a little bit of my socialist bent you you
1: could probably tweak it just by treating the stock buybacks differently you Mm. still leave the incentives Mm. but hey when you have stock buybacks there's maybe a different tax implication or you have to pay more or or, something to that effect or maybe you have to like buy them at a certain speed depend on the, depending on the market cap and how much you buy back so that way you can't create the, these liquidity pushes. Yeah. Because like you can just tell like, well, hey, how much are you buying back? OK, what percentage of the market is that? Uh, you're buying back too much. That means that you really have control over the price. So if you're going to do a stock buyback, you have to do it no more than this percentage of your market cap right. over a certain amount of time. That way we know that you can't yeah. look at the pricing.
0: At that point, I'm saying there's so much brain damage in there. If you wanted to return capital to the investors, mm-hmm. use the dividend.
1: Right. So funny, it's like we're creating the rule book. <laughs> and the rule book is just massive, right. right? But there's all these special cases, right?
0: Yeah. That's another thing about a game is I think that the rules should be accessible enough that a reasonable, intelligent player of the game, mm-hmm. they don't have to know every single rule, yeah. but they should be able to like get it.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean like the US economy is a giant game.
0: It really is. <laughs> right. I mean yeah.
1: how big is the tax code? It's like 1,500 pages or something crazy. That's massive, crazy. right?
0: All right, so going back to real estate. Okay. The foreign ownership one, I thought that was the easiest one. That's why I started there. Okay. Let me go harder. All right. Like um, hard. These private equity firms like BlackRock. Okay. You know, when they buy 10,000, 100,000 American homes at once, mm-hmm. with the express purpose of figuring out how to maximize the profit out of renting them out. Yep. I gotta tell you, I don't like it. Okay. If it was up to me, I'd say no. Homes should be owned by by, Humans. Individuals. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about that? Is that should we allow that? Or you not? know, I mean, I don't
1: know if it's just a press issue where BlackRock has gotten a lot more visibility or if, there, if that has been done in the past or if this is like a new thing where it's like, look, big funds haven't bought up single family homes at scale like this previously. Um,
0: I see it as just a modern version of being a, a slumlord, frankly.
1: But yeah, but like they're not buying up necessarily slummy houses. To me, a slumlord is someone who buys a property. Charges rents and then doesn't maintain the property, right? They're just extracting as much rent as they can and not keeping the property up to date.
0: I, right? I think,
1: because I mean, like managing a property, and I do this because I yeah, help yeah. a team manage multifamily property. Yeah. Like it's a, it's tough work, right? It, it, I mean, like keeping those properties maintained and managing all the people that are coming and going and keeping the properties from being dilapidated. Like you're, you gotta be on top of stuff all the time. I gotta say, right? if I
0: was to rent a home, I'd want to rent it from John. I don't no, it I,
1: there are lots of good property managers out there, right? right. Some but, less so than others, right?
0: Right. But, but corporations are famously not altruistic organizations. I, I am suspicious that BlackRock is uh, expending all possible efforts to maintain those homes to their but, best Yeah, conditions. I mean,
1: they're they're like anyone else. They're just trying to make as much return as possible. And right. they saw an environment where, like, hey, look, prices are going to be accelerating. And that person in the parking lot really pissed off at something. Um, But so we think that, you know, hey buying these they're gonna appreciate and we can rent them out based on you know Whatever the notes are so right now single-family homes happen to be the thing right right? Um, And that was a couple years ago, and now that's actually unwinding and so they're actually Starting to liquidate some of this holding it's not it's not working out like hey The numbers just aren't as compelling as they were before so they don't want to own them right right? So they will eventually sell them back off to individuals who are under less favorable interest rate environments, right? um so I think I would be premature to say like it was good or it's bad to me it's kind of like like the conditions were ripe for them to make that investment choice and to me it's a temporary thing they only got into it because it looks good on paper and they'll get into it until it doesn't look good and then they'll get out and eventually those will probably end up in single-family ownership situations Um, now in my heart of hearts sure I want people to be able to own homes but Also, like, I know that renting a home is better than renting an apartment in many cases. Most people don't prefer to rent a home over renting an apartment. Right. Because just, like, the lifestyle, like, being so close to your neighbors isn't as desirable as a home. Um, I I would say... So I'm I'm not going to be emotional one way or the other. To me, it's just a a condition of the market that's temporary, and it will come and go.
0: I I would make this argument that it's objectively better Mm -hmm. if Americans own their own home. And I use the word objectively, intentionally. Mm-hmm. If you own your own home. That's the
1: American dream, right?
0: It's the American dream. It's certainly more romantic. Yep. But you're also much more inclined to go to the big box, home improvement store, or hire an architect, mm-hmm. put a pool in, decorate it. You're, you're much more inclined to do more. let move
1: over so you're not getting cooked.
0: Yeah. You're, you're much more incentivized mm-hmm. to improve a property that you own than mm-hmm. a property you rent. Yep, absolutely. And even if you're the owner of a rental property, you're not as incentivized to put in some of that irrational polish. Oh, on yeah. Something I mean,
1: there's all sorts of data that shows that homeowners are going to improve their property. They stick around longer. They have better relationships with their neighbors, like all sorts of awesome social benefits for homeownership outside of just the numbers, right?
0: Right. So if we're designing the MMO mm-hmm. of the United States, we would say to to maximize economic activity, mm-hmm. that could be one great way to measure everything. Sure. What's the maximum e- economy we can get out of our MMO, then we should dr- we should drive for greater and greater homeownership. Yeah.
1: I mean, up to a point, right? Because Clinton tried that. Yeah. And they tried to loosen lending standards to get people to have increased homeownership, which led to the 2008 crisis because people who were buying homes that really couldn't afford to. So incentivize it but again everything comes down to risk just like your guy and like foreign investment in the United States or United States buying up property in Korea because they were up against the wall It's all about like the proper leverage and the proper financial balance because here's the crux, right? This is like the American thing and so I'm going to rant here a little bit. Which is when things are good and people are making money, everyone wants to leverage, right. right? They want to borrow money to make more money. Like, oh, and they just think that it will never ever stop right. until it does. And when it stops, people get wiped out and then okay. they go, oh, poor me, right? I, you know, like, why did I get wiped out? This is terrible. Well, the system is awful. It's unfair, right? It's like, well, if you would have grown slower and kept more equity on your balance sheet and had less debt, and made not as much money, then you would have survived that
0: economic crash. Correct. Right. But you brought the Clinton and 2008 crisis. And you went through some complex stuff very rapidly. If I Yeah. Can slow you down a little bit. And I'm, so,
1: if you grow slow, my point is, growing slow is not sexy. It's not fun, right? So what? It, but you will survive, and <laughs> you will you will make it through the business cycles, and be able to just you know, okay. continue
0: your economic journey. Right? So, building all those thoughts together. Hmm. I'm gonna put a bunch of rules together real fast okay as a package all right It's desirable f- to have people on their own homes mm-hmm. for a maximal economic activity
1: and social benefit social benefit
0: yep do not allow do not allow people and I said allow through regulation do not mm-hmm. allow people to get in over their heads over that's, that's, to, over too much leverage That's a tough one yeah I'm getting there yeah. Don't allow the leverage to get out of hand. Uh Also a tough one. Because <laughs> then you'll create asset bubbles and yep, crashes. Yep. Yep. Okay, so good good to have ownership, bad to have asset bubbles. Right. Okay, so then what, what would we do if we want to avoid an asset bubble? I think as long as you're very intentional about it, you can start to you mm. can start to be a little more clear about it.
1: Yeah, and that's a tough one because then you're trying to to me that's like trying to change humans.
0: We're always doing that though, John. Yeah, we're not though. You know, we? we try, we try, but it doesn't ever work. Right? Oh come on! Humans,
1: humans be humaning, right? There's always going to be someone out there who's going to get in over their head, right? And it's difficult to say, like, hey, you know what? As the government and the nanny state, I don't think that you should leverage your house with a five percent loan. You need to have a ten percent down loan, right? Drunk driving deaths
0: are way down in the last.
1: 50 okay, years. you went from like equity to drunk driving. Right? My point is, okay. my
0: point is, we do implement public policy. To change human behavior and it has changed human behavior.
1: Okay, well in the case of like drunk driving that's a little different in my opinion because there you're talking about an existential risk and it's like a death on the line, it's not finances where in theory you control your own money, right? But having the government trying to say like, oh you're not allowed to leverage more than this or that uh, that doesn't feel good, right? Now even though they're probably right, right? right? Like you, you have to put down a certain amount or you have to pay like The the banking industry solves that with PMI. Like, hey, you have to buy insurance for your loan, so if you default, this insurance policy covers you. Right. Which is how how that's solved. But like the VA benefit, like a veteran can buy a house with zero down, right? I think that's a a great, great program, but it only applies to a select few. So as long as that program is small, it's non-existential. Right? Right. But in the 2008 crisis, like, you could come in and put zero down, borrow a ton of money, have no no, income. No, but I think. And that's how we got into trouble.
0: I think asset bubbles and crashes are objectively bad.
1: They are, yep. And if well, you, I mean, they are. They are on the whole, right? Right. And I think if you had them, if you if you know finances really well, an asset bubble and a crash can be an amazing opportunity to make a lot of money. But only a select few people who know how to take advantage of them will, will do so.
0: Right. But if you had asset bubbles at super cadence, if they were happening every year from one industry to the next, after a while, people would get um, gun shy. Yeah. And it would it would it would stop people from investing capital. Because yep. they're like, this, I don't know what I'm going to touch, it's all going to blow up.
1: Right, but they would have to happen fast enough for the human memory to for not forget. And right now our memory is pretty short.
0: Yeah.
1: And so right now they're happening, like what we had one in 2008, you could argue maybe we had one in 2020, you could argue maybe we're having one, not yet, but maybe on the precipice of having one. I think so we're having one right now. Yeah, well like we're, we're all over the place in the market, but we haven't really fallen off a cliff yet, right? Um, so, I, I've been waiting for, like, a financial catastrophe of, like, you know, the 2029 or the 1929 level, like, since, you know, 2018, right? right. Like, I'm looking at the P.E. ratios and all the printing, and everyone's just kind of like, well, when is this going to happen? And so far, right. it's not happening. But I always ask this question. If we had a big financial meltdown, like a 1929-style meltdown, and you looked in the rearview mirror, could you honestly say, like, I didn't expect it? It was a surprise?
0: No, I agree, too. I agree, too, but... But if you were to counsel someone how to manage your money, you've said it already just about 20, 15, 20 minutes ago, you said don't get in and over your skis, don't mm-hmm. get over leveraged, yep. keep your debt in control. So my question is, why not, why not set up a system where those guardrails are there by government-imposed controls?
1: Right. Yeah, so I guess that's a fundamental difference. As you could say, like, hey, the government can dictate what you have to do versus the individual can choose what they have to do. Correct. Right. And so I would say, hey, I'm going to let you go step on the landmine. Now, part of what I do is educate people how not to step on the landmine. Um, and it to me, it comes back to an education issue. Like, hey, I teach kids in school. This is how you manage money. This is what happens when you get over leveraged. This is kind of like the the boundary lines to keep yourself from being in that existential risk. But to say that you can't, uh, I don't know. To me, that kind of impringes on, like, look, you should be free enough to go make a dumb decision and then recover from it, right?
0: Right, but then the problem is enough people step on the landmine together, mm-hmm. they make an asset bubble, they crash, and they cause an existential risk to the greater economy, right. and the rest of us, without any voluntary action, right. I get have that. to make them whole, we have to so put our legs back on I them. would
1: argue that your average citizen, you know, mom and pop, individual investor is not causing that problem, that's caused at like, a large financial institution level. Um, and to some extent, there are financial regulations about leverage and bank testing at that level. Right, but, just like... But,
0: but not enough, for reasons. Right,
1: right, well, like, we're learning as we go, right? Like, so, the 2008 thing happened and Dodd-Frank came by. I, honestly, I think the, the Dodd-Frank regulations, by and large, are good, right. right? They keep people away from doing stuff that's just, like, really, really stupid. Right. Um, and right now, like, the SVB bank, right, they blew up because they weren't required to have stress testing at 250 billion was the limit, which they advocated to raise that limit from 200 to 250. Well, guess no, what? No,
0: no, it was down at 50.
1: OK, well, SVB
0: D- said Frank like, 50. hey,
1: make it 250, right? Because right, we're, we're at
0: 208. Yeah, and
1: SVB's valuation was a little above 200. Yeah. So like, they knew, right? They wouldn't right. have asked for that unless they knew they were in kind of, you right.
0: know, so execu- churning waters. Those right? executives and their shareholders.
1: But Everyone above that. Bent, bent the rules. Yeah, is in theory stress tested. In right? order
0: to get free market actions. Yep. And now we, the public, have to subsidize that risk because we've guaranteed all the depositors, which I agree on. Yep. But again, this is another great example of free markets going for high alpha, but when the black swan event happens, they socialize the risk that's true. back to us. That's true, that's absolutely true. So my question is, what would be wrong with strong enough federal rules that prevents anyone from getting in over their skills, skis, to the point that if they did, there is no public bailout.
1: Well, I mean, I would argue that individuals aren't publicly bailed out. Right, so if you get a 100% leverage loan on your house, you don't get bailed out, you just suffer the consequences. Right, and I would also argue that again, that most of that action that really causes the big economic collapses happens on Wall Street. So really that's where the regulation is gonna have the most impact they're saying hey wall street banks you need to not get out over your skis no, no, no. and create an existential risk that the public is going to have to pay for
0: what i'm saying is what i'm saying is, for example i'll be more th- practical instead of theoretical okay clinton said it was great if we could get more people to own homes right i think that was actually objectively correct uh, yeah from- it's a good intention now, good intention mm-hmm. the- but when you start to run up against can this individual afford the home mm-hmm don't bend the rules and get them into loans they can't afford. Yeah, so that was the sin.
1: That was the problem,
0: right? And so... Getting people to own their own homes, yep. that's not the sin.
1: The un- No, but the underwriting was was not regular enough. And I would, I would argue that Dodd-Frank fixed that. So actually, Dodd-Frank did exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Which is what you're requesting. Right. And actually, I run into this all the time as a real estate agent with people trying to get loans for homes. And like, there are all sorts of rules and regs in place, especially around like closing disclosure statements. I'm not going to get into the details, but... I mean, almost weekly, a Dodd-Frank rule comes up that says like,
0: yeah, you know what? That's probably not a good idea.
1: And Dodd-Frank is going to keep you from doing that.
0: So the UK is experimenting with a new mortgage product Mm -hmm. that that the debt will be inheritable. Oh, interesting. I find that anathema. I, I can't find anything more chilling that I could agree to mortgage my home on a 80-year or 100-year loan.
1: And then your kid's going to get it.
0: And my kids will inherit that debt against their Does own the loan.
1: child have to sign for the inheritable no. debt? No. Oh well, that's fucked up. Right. Right, because, I mean, if you consent to it, okay. Right. But you have to consent, right? right. But for, like, dad to be able to like, hey, I'm going to go take out this million-dollar mortgage, guess what is yours when I die?
0: That's just going back to the Middle Ages, in my opinion. Oh,
1: yeah. Total serfdom. Yeah. Right. I mean, the concept of like the 40 year mortgage has been floated around, right? right. right? Um, just to, to alleviate payments and for rates and stuff like that. But you gotta get them, like investors have to be willing to buy them and they're gonna be so low yield that I don't know if there'll be a market for them. I, it, it would be a kick the can down the road solution. Yeah. But no, I agree with you. I do not like the idea of an debt because like you said, that's, yeah, it's creating servitude that you didn't sign up for. That's right. I mean, like we're already kind of doing that with our, our tax liabilities. <laughs> Right? to some extent because if you just take the national debt and divide it by every man woman and child it's like 65 grand per person yeah if you divide it by every taxpayer it's like 180 grand in debt per person which you know that's a lot of money
0: so I'm gonna raise my hand and admit okay I have a 30-year fixed mortgage on my house uh-huh. that's great but I think the 30-year loan is bad okay at the game design level okay I think loans should be maximum of 10 years okay and if you did that, of course, you'd say, wow, geez, then home ownership would be less attainable, Eric. I thought you wanted to get home ownership. Yep. And I argue no. If you said that 10 years is the maximum loan today, mm-hmm. then tomorrow, the next day, the next year, yes, it'd be a lot harder because people would need to have much larger monthly payments. Yep. But people still need to sell their houses. There's still movements across the country. There's yep. still divorces. There's still deaths. Yep. And so what you'd see is house prices coming down, just like you're seeing right now as interest rates are going yep, up, house yep. prices going down. If, if the maximum product was a 10-year loan, you take a $500,000 house in Austin, yep. but you couldn't buy it with a 30-year loan, but you could only buy it with a 10-year loan, you're the real estate expert. What would that cost, the price of that $500,000 home? Uh,
1: I mean, it would have to go down because ultimately, everything is about the monthly payment. Right. However, you're going you're gonna to bounce off of production costs. Mm. Right, so if you make the house too cheap, it's to the point that it makes no sense to build a house. Okay. Right, and so if I have to, you know, we, we, which everything would have to go down. Right, right. so like yeah. prices of land would have to go down, price of labor and materials to build that home would all have to go down.
0: Right, because real estate development is 24% of the, the uh, country, if you flirted with a 10-year loan overnight, mm-hmm. you could cause a uh, deflationary event, which would be extremely disruptive and very painful. Yeah. Uh, you could you could you could say like okay over the next 20 years the maximum loan length is going to come down by one year at a time. You could give everybody a graceful period of time yeah. to adjust. Okay, so let me throw some rapid rules changes mm-hmm. into you. Yes, yes, these rules would need to be engaged over some time so as to not surprise or disrupt people. Mm-hmm. But I think it would be better if there was a 10-year mortgage product. It's good to chop it up so people have ability to get in and pay it over time. But after the 10 years, I see a 20-year-old owning their home by the yep. mid-30s. Yep. And then they can reinvest their free capital yep. into new businesses and do more capital. When mm-hmm. I see the economy growing rather than sending that interest payments off okay. to okay. the banks. Okay.
1: So, I mean, I agree with your, your concept, like, yeah, that sounds great in a, in, mm-hmm. in a good world, right? Um, however, it would be economically crushing, right? Because fewer people would be able to afford homes, fewer homes would be built, uh, and it would just shrink the industry, fewer loans would get originated. So it would be very depressing on economic growth in general. And ultimately, um, consumers you know just wouldn't be able to buy as many homes. So, I mean, yeah, it could be done, but you would, it would really have to create this much more long-term focus mm-hmm. in, in, in your lives um, to be able to do that. Uh, I don't see that type of legislation working. I mean, you could test it somewhere, I guess. but. It would just slow down economies. And generally speaking, like, we, we are averse to anything that slows the economy. So to me, it would be recessionary. I mean, like, maybe we get used to it over time. Um, I, I, but it would make homeownership much more difficult and more rare.
0: I think that's true, absolutely, coming from the context of the current lens. Yeah. But a, a thing, a Yeah, great, I mean,
1: if you get used to it over 10, 20 years, then it becomes the new normal. That right? becomes
0: the new normal, and that's yeah. fine. Here's my great, great fear, mm-hmm. and it's actually just worse now with AI, Yep. Yeah. is. A thirty-year mortgage mm-hmm. is taking profits off of that citizen's workflow mm-hmm. from the next thirty years. Yep. And Well, usually
1: only seven to thirteen, because no one keeps their home for thirty years.
0: Okay. But then they roll over into another thirty. Sure, mortgage. sure. So it doesn't really matter. Yep. It's still a thirty. It's a thirty-year rent mm-hmm. on their future labor. Yep. And that rent is not taxes going to a government. That rent is going to a bank or somebody who mm-hmm. purchases mortgages or mortgage-backed securities.
1: I would also argue that that homeowner's equity is gonna grow faster than the rent on the money. And so mo- most cases homeowners actually benefit from using the leverage and then selling their home for a higher price. We, later we've
0: on. seen that in the 80s, 90s and aughts. If you look at the full like 150 year lens, sometimes it's not clear. It is very local, so it depends. Yeah. Right? So in some
1: municipalities and some areas of the country, that's not gonna be the case. Yep. Um, but in high growth areas, generally it
0: is. Right. But this, my, comment, my worry is not just about real estate. Mm-hmm. As we ramp up big data, mm-hmm. as we ramp up big AI, it doesn't even need to be a large language model. As we ramp up big data and we're just smarter and savvier about stuff, mm-hmm. our ability to look into the future economically and predict what a brewery will do, predict what a citizen will be able to make, predict what that land will be able to make, what that shopping mall mm-hmm. will make, we are going to get better and better at being oracles of the future. Mm-hmm and we get better and better at being Oracle of the future, there are definitely financial wizards yep. that are happy to put together a spreadsheet and go, well, based on that future flow of cash, mm-hmm. I can present to you the net present value of that cash flow today. Right. And for this one little price today, yep. I'll buy all your parking meters off of you. Yeah, yeah. I will buy off all your free profit for the next 30 years. And I'm really deeply concerned that our biology mm-hmm. It's just being animals.
1: Yeah, I just want to take that, that, quick, the, that the quick, quick hit. Yeah, right. the quick yeah.
0: hit. Yeah. And I'm arguing that that U.S. 30-year mortgage uh-huh. is a quick hit.
1: Okay, well then this, I'm going to go back to some financial Darwinism. All right. And is that is those who are willing to, you know, like the two marshmallow tests, mm. the long-term thinkers and those more willing to delay gratification right. will do better, which is already the case financially now. Yeah. And so that's just going to get more pronounced. Right. The more you're willing to delay gratification and hold on to long-term assets, the better you will do, which is absolutely true in real estate. I mean, almost the best real estate option is just never sell. Right. right. You just keep buying, but never, ever sell. If you need cash, just refinance a little that's bit. That's right. But usually, uh, something comes up and we need the cash, so we sell.
0: Oh, I can't argue with that. I can't argue with that. The people who are better at husbanding their money, better at ma- making track of their marsh- marshmallows, will do better than those who don't. Yep. I'm making the argument and that's not evenly distributed that's right it's not I'm making the argument that with greater regulation Mm -hmm. more clear rules not only would you keep the less skillful out of trouble Mm -hmm. that's not that's not necessarily my goal is to say make it more fair or more warm and fuzzy Mm -hmm. but you'd end up redeploying the productive capital as a society that's coming out of our technological advances mm-hmm. more directly back into productive assets rather than becoming like idle piles of gold. By, by protecting the bottom layer from doing dumb things with their money, mm-hmm. then there'd be more free cash flow for even the people who are super smart to even realize even bigger advances mm-hmm. and more gains. Because we'd get out of some of the more painful, uh, self-inflicted rules of these asset bubble cycles.
1: Yeah. I mean, it also just depends on like, how much of your monthly budget is spent on that interest. right? Like right. Currently, that amount is relatively small because in a mortgage payment that's, let's say, $3,000, about a third of that is interest. Right. Um, less than a third is gonna be equity and then more than a third is gonna be like taxes and insurance and things like that. That's right. So maybe a third or maybe a little bit more. Right. Um, and if your mortgage payment is, let's say, a third of your total income and that means it's the ninth of your total monthly income is going toward interest payment. Right, right. And so if so you so you have a
0: ninth of your human right is being sold. Now on if you to had the, if yeah. you had
1: a ten year loan, I'd have to do the math, but I imagine that that number would be much higher, right? So in the but you're are you're, you're just you're accelerating that loan. So now instead of you know one ninth, it might be more like you know a fifth, right? Is going toward interest, but for a shorter overall time. And so like, hey, I get to you know own my home in ten years. Boom. Now I've got this capital asset that's it's worth half a million dollars just pay for free and clear. But, you know, leverage is a double-edged sword. It's like, well then, hey, I might want to re-leverage some of that capital out that I go do things with. Because people will use their homes to, you know, take money out to go buy yep. a second home or to start a business or to pay for their school or what have you. And the 30-year loan makes it cheaper to do that, even though it's a longer term. Right, but the total amount of interest they're paying per month is smaller. So the ten-year I would think would restrict those types of activities. Now, whether that's good or
0: bad, hard to know. And right? it, it. And again, that's that's asking someone who's, living and breathing deep in a thirty-year mortgage mm-hmm. context to consider a ten-year mortgage context. Right. Where I got the ten-year context originally was from, Japan and South Korea. Uh-huh. You can't get thirty-year mortgage products. Oh, really? They're only over ten. There. Only ten. Interesting. And there's plenty of. Uh, Frankly, rich people mm-hmm. in, in in East Asia, yeah. and a lot of I think a lot of the reasons why they're rich mm-hmm. is because they're not burdened. Uh, even at one ninth or one third mm-hmm. of their cash flows, they South Koreans and Japanese tend to actually own their homes outright. Yep. Relatively young.
1: Yep. They also they have a much higher savings rate. Yeah, and I think there's also a much greater cultural affinity for those types of yep. behaviors yep. for yep. sure. Um, and as a result, you know, Japan's growth has been very, very shallow for long, long periods of time. I'm not saying that these two are tightly related, but right. they, they might, might, no, be they a, are. might they be are a factor. No, they right? are. Because they save so much, they don't spend that much. So, um, so they don't...
0: They are. So the thing that I'm really worried about in general...
1: So you have a slower economy. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It depends on what you value.
0: It depends on your time horizon. Because mm-hmm. we can look 30 years in advance, find out all those profits... Mm-hmm. And then we can pull those profits forward and we can tranche them and we can securitize them. We can do that with movies, we can do the with music, we can do that with games, we can do that with real estate. We can yep. do anything. And we're gonna get better and better at that. Yep. We're gonna get so good that we're gonna be able to run financial models that say up into the error margin, we know exactly mm-hmm. how much money is coming. And being a biological creature, we'll take that raspberry up front yeah. and we'll eat it. Yep. But the consequences well, is the,
1: the, the center of the distribution curve will.
0: Center will. Okay. But the problem is, if if the bulk of that does it, and there's no profit in them existing for the next 27 years, mm-hmm. you could get into civil unrest. Pretty pretty. Well, like they're quickly.
1: unable to afford their their homes.
0: Not only that, but there's AI telling them you will never mm-hmm. be able to afford your homes. You oh, will based always based on be.
1: your current trajectory, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. We've run the math. Mm-hmm. You will be under medical debt, student debt, and you'll be basically renting to your landlords for the rest of your life. Yeah. You have zero chance of ever changing your American Dream status. Yep. We we can get to Black Mirror episodes very very rapidly through big data and technology.
1: I, I mean, I see where you're going with it. Yeah. And my experience is just my own. Yeah. Uh, and so this doesn't apply to everybody. Um, but to me, like in terms of like your overall like looking at your financial life on like a zero to eighty-five yep. scale, like early on in your career. You need to do something that, where you have a good time trade. Yeah. Right. We're like, look, if I'm going to trade my time, I want to get good money for it. Right. And so I think a lot of the people that are in that boat, early on, they have a poor time trade, uh, and they're not able to accumulate surplus capital. All right. And the problem and benefit of being in the United States is that in the United States you have to learn to be an investor, because if you don't, like, you're just going to be ground to dust. There's no social safety net. Whereas in Europe, uh, the government provides for you and says, you don't have to be financially savvy, we're going to give you a pension, you have to work until whatever yep. age you work to, and then we're going to give you a small pension and, right. and you'll live out your life, but you don't have to be a financial wizard. Whereas in the United States, you have to be a financial wizard. If you want to have a certain level of autonomy, Absol- absolutely. Right? like you have to understand the insurance industry, you have absolutely. to understand the real estate industry, you have to understand the lending industry, That's right. you have to plot your financial course over 85 years and say like, okay, well in these years I'm going to school, and these years I'm creating surplus income to invest. That invested income will then turn into dividend assets that pay me later. Now, the double-edged sword of this is that in the United States you can do that. So that gives you a lot of autonomy and it gives you a lot of power if you're willing to learn and play that game. The problem is not everyone is willing to learn and play that game. And because they don't learn and play that game and because they don't think, hey, I'm in my 20s, I need to go have a really efficient time trade so that I can accumulate capital to purchase assets that will set me up for not being able to work in my future because most people don't do that. That's where they get into the AI dystopian. It, look, your, your path is, is set and you're always going to be renting in, in medical and student debt because you didn't follow this wealth growth track. That's right. Like, and so Which it, is also why I'm really passionate about financial
0: education. right? Because to me, it's like, look, you got to get people to understand that. I know you're super, right. and you're doing, not only are you into it, you actually do it. You try to educate people, which I find so so impressive. And it's, like,
1: it's like, hey, look, these are the rules of the game that we've got. They might not be the best rules, but if you don't learn them, like you're going to be where you're talking about. You're going to be in that dystopian reality of like, you're going to be a rent-surf forever because you didn't learn the rules. Right, but
0: if you are allowed to attach your children's future livelihoods mm-hmm. and securitize that and pull that forward. You could say, hey, I've got four kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, give me $100,000 per kid today, mm-hmm. and you will enjoy a 30% rent on whatever income they have for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. If you created such a product, there are assholes who would sell their children. <laughs> there, for, <laughs> there are. There are. So don't create that product. <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying. Like, if I ask you, John, create a product where the children and the grandchildren must pay off the debts so that the first generation can have free experimentation with that cash, you would say, I'm pro-regulation. I'm not going to let them create those products. Yeah, that's terrible. I'm saying the same thing is true for future John 30 years out. Mm -hmm. I'm saying John should only be able to gamble with John out to 10 years.
1: Well, what, just for the purchase of a home versus like, hey, if I buy other assets? Or I can only have 10-year loans, period.
0: That's what, I'm, that's, what, that's what I'm really, I'm running a thought experiment. Like, like Regardless it, of what the it, asset if is. It's, if it's evil to sell your children, mm-hmm. but it's moral to take some capital risk with yourself, mm-hmm. then that implies to me that there's a gradient curve somewhere. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a, a sweet spot on that curve. Mm-hmm. Like where the first derivative is zero. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And so we've got the 30-year mortgage. I'm just raising the question is, who's proven that that's correct?
1: I don't know that there's a proof As much as there is a market Right And so the market has decided Out of all of the investors out there This is the product That seems to be the most successful We used
0: to have a vibrant market For slaves Yeah We've now moved out Into private prisons Yeah, true The existence of a market And a vibrant market is not No, it's, it's not. not I mean, like I'm not saying it, it's perfect I'm it, just
1: saying like that's, that's all I got Yeah Right It's the most popular
0: vehicle Yeah Right I don't know So this is kind of an example Of the things that we want to talk about We want to talk about like Let's pressure test some of the regulations, pressure test some of the rules, from my point of view on social stuff. I think John wants to talk about uh, freedom and economics, but sometimes we'll flip it back and forth. Yeah, so I mean, fundamentally, this is kind of like, I feel feel like
1: I've learned the rule book, right? The rules that we've got. And so I'm trying to teach, hey, these are the rules, and if you want to do well with these rule sets, this is how you play the game, right? Whether the game is moral or ethical or even, doesn't matter, these are the rules, here's how to play. And versus like, hey, well, what if we change the rules? That's right. What are some cool new rules that might make things better? Right. Like what are some experiments that yeah. could create different outcomes?
0: For an example, I personally hate homeowners associations, HOAs. Yeah. I understand the theory of why they could be a good thing. I will never own a home where I'm subject to an HOA.
1: Okay, so without taking too much more time, I get why, right? Because HOAs take away individual freedom to do what you want. But like if you don't have an H-way, then people have a lot of freedom to do what they want, if you know what I mean. Right. right? So they put, you know, dilapidated cars in the front yard. They yeah. don't cut their yards. They have, you know, just like ugly stuff everywhere, and then people don't like that. Yeah. So, you know, double-edged sword, again, very rarely will I think anything is like pure good or pure bad. Right. It's usually like I look at everything through two fundamental lenses, probability and the balance sheet.
0: Right. But right. so there's in the reality, we were living in a very partisan politicized environment. Mm-hmm. But if you really drill drill down on the policies, you're going to find out that everyone in America is for some form of regulation, and everyone's for some form of greater individual liberty. Yep, which sometimes those two come into conflict. Always, always. Well, it's just like freedom and equality,
1: right? They don't actually mix. Yeah, Right. yeah. Because that means you have the freedom not to be equal. That's right. All right. Well, I think we've gone on long enough, Eric.
0: I think so. Good episode. Well, next time we'll talk
1: about, well, we've got all sorts of fun things coming yeah. up too. We'll talk about new rule systems. We'll just leave it at that. All right. All right.
0: I'll, I'll actually leave you the cliffhanger. OK. GPT-4 just came out. Oh, god. And I was asking it how to solve the crisis with Silicon Valley Bank. OK. And with fractional banking. Uh-huh. I was asking it, like, it seems like fractional banking itself can't work. With the online banking, if your depositors can remove all of their capital inside mm-hmm. of twenty-four hours, how do you do fractional reserve banking, banking? Just breaks. Doesn't
1: work. Okay, we'll, we'll leave that so one for we'll, next time. So,
0: and I'll leave it. Went on a big long thread. Okay. And ChatGPT four and I came together where we're going to get evangelical Christians involved in making new <laughs> banking and loan products. Well, you know, they're a serious political force. They really are. <laughs> Maybe they can make it work. That's right. All <laughs> That's right. That's a cliffhanger. Until next time. All right. Cheers. Bye, guys.